0: Well, good morning. It's a blessing to be here today. I want to start by saying I am really honored and um, I'm really blessed that our Pastor Wes would ask me to speak in his absence today. Um, It's a very serious matter, and you need to pray for me because I tend to joke around a lot. (laughs) So so you keep me in prayer. But um, I'd like to read the main passage that we're looking today. And then I'd also like to just open again with a little prayer about what we're going to be talking about. So in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, we read this. There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So there's a way that seems right to us. However, Sometimes the end of those things are not what we're wanting, if you can understand what I mean by that. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll take a consideration of what we have in the text. Father, thank you for this day, and we do thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us your word that we might understand your will, your way. We might understand who you are and your love for us. And we do pray, Father, as Wes is still away um, today, that you'll bless his day, bring him home safely. We thank you that Melinda's here safely. And we pray that as we spend time together in fellowship and breaking of bread, that you'll uh, draw us closer together. And now we ask that as we look at your word and we consider what it says, that you'll speak to us. You'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Our hearts would be open to you as you Um, give us understanding by your spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, two events happened to me in 1972 that radically changed my life. Uh, So we're talking almost 52 years ago. First and foremost was on February the 5th, 1972, I got saved. Now, if you don't know what that means, because um, you don't talk about getting saved in your church, I was radically transformed by God's grace. I had grown up in Southern California in the turbulent 60s, early 70s, and I was one of those long-haired hippies. Uh, I I actually was. I I tuned in, turned on, dropped out. I was anti-establishment, anti-war, anti-everything, except for what my generation stood for. So I was a mess, (laughs) and lo and behold, God in His goodness one day got my attention, and I went to this tent out in a bean field um, with several other thousands of young individuals who looked just like me, but we all thought we looked different. But you know, because we are all individuals, Um, I look at those pictures now and I laugh because I think we all look alike. We thought we were so different, well, we were different, but in in a different sort of way. But I went to this tent and I heard the gospel. I heard about God's love for me and his forgiveness of my sin if I would give my life to Christ. And I did. And it radically changed me. I haven't been the same since. And if you think that's kind of strange, um, it's not. I'm much better off now than I was back in the 60s. I'm no longer a a, a, uh, hippie for Jesus. Now I'm a geezer for Christ. I've I've got the white hair to prove that. (laughs) But the Lord changed my life. I was different. And it was powerful what happened to me, because that's what God does. He changes our lives. And so that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened just a few weeks later is I received a letter. Now, that's unusual because, you know, I barely read books or wrote anything, but I got a letter addressed to me, and it was from the White House. And I'll never forget, I opened this letter up, and... I had read these words. I remember them. They were burned in my memory. Greetings from the office of the President of the United States. Wow. You are hereby now ordered for induction into the armed services of America. Now, at first I thought, why would President Nixon send me this letter? But actually, I knew why. I had been drafted. Now, understand... This is a challenge for me because I had just spent four, five, six years protesting, standing up against everything that I hold dear today. Back then I stood up against and I thought, wait a minute, Lord, I just gave my life to you. And I've been going to Bible studies and worship times and going out in the streets and passing out tracts of all things and actually talking to strangers about why God loves them and wants to save them. You know, I, I had this radical transformation, and now I'm going into the army, and I don't want to go into the army. I don't want to get my hair cut, <laughs> and I don't want to pick up a gun and go to Vietnam and, and kill somebody. You know, I'm thinking all these things as a young Christian and as a former, you know, hippie. I'm thinking, but I'm a Jesus freak now. I'm, you know, I, 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 how, how could this be God's will for my life? And I struggled with that. And it's funny, you know, we read the Bible and I read the Bible and I came to Romans 13 and it said, let every soul be subjected to the governing authorities for there are no authorities except that which is ordained of God. And I realized I had a first challenge as a young Christian. Do I obey God or do I take off and go to Canada? And I thought about it. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I went and reported for induction and... uh, The following year, I met this wonderful whack. She's sitting right there, Margot, my wife. She had joined the army right after high school, so things were looking up. (laughs) We'll be celebrating our 49th anniversary here pretty soon, right? Yeah. So, when I was in basic training, you know, we learned a lot of stuff. You know, we learned how to throw hand grenades and found out John Wayne did it all wrong. You don't pull the pin with your and throw the hanger grenade. If you do that, you're going to the dentist. Um, you know, we learned how to inhale um, tear gas and man up, <clears throat> you know. We learned how to fire weapons, um, all kinds of different weapons, M16s, 60 caliber, 30 caliber, all kinds of guns. Um, one of the things we learned was something called escape and evasion. Now, this was a, a training process because the idea is that if you go to Vietnam and you get separated from your unit and you're being surrounded by the enemy, you want to get out of there. You want to get back to where you belong. And so the idea was you want to escape being captured and you want to evade being incarcerated, you know, in the, in the, uh, by the enemy in, the, in their camp. So, we had to train for this. And part of this training was they broke us up into four, uh, into groups of four, little squads. And one person in the squad was the leader, and he would have the compass and the map. And so, we had to train about how to follow the leader and how to trust that he would get us where we'd need to go. And so, we had a map, we had a compass. And the idea was that when the time came for the big event, which was in the middle of the night in the hills of Kentucky, filled with rattlesnakes and copperheads, yeah, it sounds like fun, doesn't it? Yeah, that our leader would say, okay, I've got the map, I've got the compass, here's our coordinates, we need to go that way, okay? So as an incentive for us to get to where we needed to be, there was another group of soldiers training. They were called rangers. And it was their task to capture us at any cost. No matter what, the more they capture, the better off it looked for them. And I don't know if you know anything about the rangers. They're kind of the equivalent of Navy SEALs. You don't want to mess with them. You know, they're usually three times my size and they got an attitude. Um, they usually don't like people like me because I'm little and I talk about love and peace and stuff like that. <laughs> so their incentive was to catch us. And here's the catch. We were told that when the flare gun went off, you know, we're out in, the, out in the hills of Kentucky, pitch black, don't know where we're at. When that flare gun would go off, we're to head to our predetermined pickup point. Because once we got there, in time, someone would come and pick us up and take us back to the barracks. And it's okay, good. We escaped. We evaded capture and yay, we learned a great lesson. So here we are in our groups of four and you know, there's a couple hundred of us and the flare goes off. And the first thing that happens is everybody went this way, that way, everybody, everybody's, everybody went their own way. And I'm standing there and it's like, it's mayhem. It's like, what's going on? Where, my team's gone, where did everybody go? And I'm standing there, I don't have a map, I don't have a compass. All I know is I remember what? wherever the flare is going off, you head the opposite direction because the flare represented the enemy trying to find you. So the flare went off. Everybody took off. And now I take off because I'm hearing screams. I'm hearing yells and I'm hearing, well, a language I can't repeat here. Um, And if I did, I'd have to wash my mouth out with soap. So that kind of language. I got to go. I got to go. I got to get out of here. I got to avoid being captured. And so as I'm running, I trip over this, wonderful little device called Constantine wire. You know what that is? You've probably seen those old war movies where they have the barbed wire and it's like a spring. Well, I learned real fast, that stuff's nasty. Um, I fell down and it caught my cap. I had what was called a bolo cap. I don't know why they called it a bolo cap, but it was, it, was, it had like a flap covered my face with a barbed wire caught that. And then the rest of it caught my leg and I'm trapped. And everybody's running by, you better go to God. Get out of here, come on. And I'm like trying to, so I just ripped the barbed wire and I, and I ran and I ran and I ran, and I ran down the hill. And finally I found this little Creek that I knew was on the map. And I knew that it was where I was supposed to be because right on the other side of the Creek was the road That was the designated pickup point. So I finally get down there, and I cross this river, this little creek knee knee deep, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please, don't let there be any water moccasins in this river. But I got across, and I'm standing there, I'm watching the flares go off, and I'm in the background, I'm hearing the yells, and apparently some of those poor guys were captured and put in foot lockers, and uh, all kinds of nice things were done to them. They had, you know... Marks to show their capture when they got back, (laughs) black eyes and things. But I'm standing there, and it started getting quiet, quiet, quiet. Nobody's come to get me yet. And the flares quit. And I'm standing in the dark, and I'm thinking, where am I? They're supposed to pick me up. And about that time, I see two headlights coming down the road. It's a Jeep. You know, you can tell it's a jeep it wasn't a truck so i thought well this is odd because it's supposed to be a truck picking us up you know deuce and a half they called them and it's a, a little jeep and it pulls up and it's like oh no it's lieutenant jones now lieutenant jones was this type of guy down at the firing line they count your number and he always had a ramrod this metal device that you'd clean the barrel of your rifle and he'd count like this one, two. You know, he hits your helmet. And he goes, bong, bong. Now, it didn't hurt, but it was just that bong, bong. So he pulls up, and he looks at me, and he goes, what are you doing out here? I said, well, sir, I, I just escaped being uh, captured, and I, I got to the designated spot. And I'm looking at him. He's got that ramrod by his side. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't have a steel pot. I hope it doesn't hit me. He goes, do you know where you're at? I said, yes, sir, I'm at the designated pickup. He goes, no, you're not. And he pulls out his map and his little red flashlight and he goes, you are lost. He goes, you're one click off. That means I was three degrees off of, of my designated crossing, right? You're th- one click off and now you're dead. That's how he, you know, they talk to you like that in the army. They're not nice sometimes. But uh, all the way back to the barracks, I'm riding in the Jeep and he's yelling at me and telling me how dumb I am and, you know, you're going to get other people killed, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, as I'm writing as cheap as a young believer, I'm thinking, you know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And I thought, I think that's what I learned tonight, that I can be so close to what I think is the truth and head that direction, and yet I can still be one click off and end up way down the road and have to deal with people like Lieutenant Jones, <laughs> I learned as a young Christian way back then that basically there's two ways of doing things. I can do it my way or I can do it God's way. We can do it our way or we can do it God's way. And this morning, I'd like to talk about the dangers of being one click off. Anybody here ever been one click off? Okay, no confessions. Just I see the nods. You know, when I, when I was a pastor years ago, I used to do pastoral counseling. i have people come in, and they're struggling and trying to think of all kinds of things about how they should make choices and what they should do, or, and, um, you know, just normal people, people like us. And oftentimes, they'd say, I'd ask them, well, what do you think you should do? And they'd say, well, I guess I should just go with my heart. I ought to go with what I feel in my heart. I need to be true to myself. I got to go by what I feel. You ever heard that answer before? If you watch the Hallmark Channel, you know. The answer to life's problems is... Oh, my wife's told me shh. The answer to life's problems is you follow your heart. Have you ever thought about what the Bible says about the heart? You know, it's not what our culture tells us. You know, oh, you get, bless you. Well, no, that's the wrong thing to say, bless your heart. Not here in Tennessee. You have a great heart. You have a pure heart. You hear these things. You have a tender heart. But when you think about what God says about the heart, you know, if this is the way we're going to do things. Follow our feelings. Follow our desires, our passions. Listen to what God tells Jeremiah about the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, the Lord says to Jeremiah, now listen to this. This is what God says about going with our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The heart is deceitful and wicked. But that's not what we believe as a culture. We think the heart is good. But the Bible, the Lord himself says that the heart is crooked, it's uneven, it's deceptive. And why is that? Because as um, the Lord told Jeremiah, it's wicked, desperately wicked. And then the Hebrew that refers to it's corrupt and unhealthy. Uh Uh-oh, I'm losing you here. (laughs) I don't mean to offend anybody, but that's what the, the Lord says. He says, you can't understand your own heart. Why? Because it's twisted. There's something about it that's sick. <laughs> and, you know, we have to understand that by nature, every one of us here are fallen. Now, if you know the Lord, you've been born again. I can use that phrase, born again. I know somebody else used to use that phrase, born again. If you've been made anew, you have a new heart, you have a new desire, but We still, as Christians, struggle with that fallen nature. Anybody here ever struggle with your fallen nature? You know, Paul said you have to put that thing to death every day. You have to put the old man off, put the new man on, you know, walking in sanctification. Yeah, we all struggle with this fallen nature. And it affects our emotions, our desires, our passions. And... The reason why is because sin is kind of like a disease of the heart, if you will. You know, the Bible speaks of a heart, an actual physical heart that we think of in terms of anatomy. But it also uses the heart as a figure of speech. It's what we are inside. It's who we are. What makes us who we are? And the Bible clearly says that what we are by nature is something that God needs to change. And if you think that's kind of radical, you should read Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. What did Jesus say about the heart? Out of the heart comes fornications, adulteries, blasphemies, wickedness, covetousness, lying. I don't think we want to go by our heart. Um, I think we want to listen to what the Lord says. He says that he will try the reins of the heart. Now, that word reins doesn't mean rain like we had the other day it means the type of range that you have on a horse Now, I consider myself a, a decent pedestrian but i 'm a lousy equestrian. Anybody here ever go to the one of the horse riding places and think oh i 'm going to ride the horse and you, you get on the horse and you soon realize that uh, the horse and I are not in agreement too often. You ever had that experience you know I, I remember I thought I was going to going to go ride a horse and enjoy it. And I remember getting on this horse and I remember we got out of the gate and we're on the trail and all of a sudden this horse decided it was going to go back to the corral. He was bored with me or something. He he didn't want to spend any time with me. He wanted to go back to the corral. And I remember I had the reins and I thought, where are you going? And, you know, he's pulling his head this way and so I'm pulling back this way and then he's pulling this way. And I realized this horse had an agenda. Its heart's desire was to go back to the corral, and that had bothered me. So I did the next best thing. I thought, well, I'll try the reins. If that's not going to control them, I'll take that strap, and you know what I did? On the backside, and I remember that horse did this. Really? <laughs> and it was about that time I realized that horse is bigger, it's stronger, and it's a lot smarter than me. You know, now sometimes the Lord will take the reins of our heart because it's crooked and it wants to go somewhere and do something or say things that do not honor Him and do not help others. And sometimes the Lord will grab the hold of the reins of our hearts. He goes, "I'm going to put you to the test. Why are you going that way? Well, because I want to go that way. I feel like that. That's my that's my desire, my passion. Well, I don't want you going that way. I want you this way. No, I don't want to go that way either. Well." Does the Lord ever take a strap to us? Yeah, he chastens those who he loves. Sometimes it's like, about that time you realize, you know, I probably ought to listen to the Lord. And so the thing I learned is that if I go by my heart, at best, I will be one click off. At best, if I go by what I'm feeling, my desire, it may seem really close to the truth, In the end, I end up in the wrong place. And we have to understand that God doesn't want us to be like that horse that he has to put a bit and bridle on and, you know, know, whip us if he needs to. He wants us to follow his lead. And that's the problem with the heart is that our heart, by nature, wants to do what it wants to do regardless Now think about this. Have you ever had feelings about somebody that somehow it just seems like, yeah, I have a right to feel that way? And yet, you know, the Bible, as we read today says, as much as depends on you, live at peace. The Lord, he said this, or Lord, he did that. Yeah, but I want you to stay the course. I want you to do my will, follow my way. You ever struggle with those hard issues as a, as a Christian or a non Christian? Yeah. So that's one way we do things our way. And I have to watch the clock because I have to do what the clock says, too. Um, another way is we don't depend on our feelings. We decide we're going to be <clears throat> very rational and we're going to make reasonable decisions. We're going to use our head, right? You know, so I've, I've known people, you know, like, oh, I don't, I don't go by my feelings. I do my due diligence, I plan everything out and I make my my decisions accordingly. You know anyone like that? I know a few people like that, yeah. Sometimes I think I, I need to do that more. Um, but here's the problem with the head. Notice what God tells Isaiah in chapter 55, verses eight and nine. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways says the lord for as for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts can we get off course if we depend on our own aptitudes our own ability our own opinions is it is it easy to get off track and yet it seems like we're so close? But when we get through it all, after we reasoned through it, rationalized it, intellectualized it, we get there and by the time we're done, we realize I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. Think about this, how how easy that happens. Think about, have you ever had a problem with anyone? <laughs> I know you're thinking, yeah, we have a problem with you right now, but <laughs> Yeah, have you, ever, have you ever had this experience? Someone says something to you, and it just doesn't sit right. It bothers you. Maybe it wasn't so much what they said. Maybe it was just the way they said it. You ever had that experience? And then you get home, and you start thinking about it, and it's like, well, what did he mean by that? or Or why did she say that? And you start imagining all sorts of scenarios. And as you're thinking about, you know, why this person said or did what he or she did you start thinking about your intentions well what am i going to do about that well i know what i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to have a talk with him i'm going to tell her what to do you know i'm going to straighten this matter out because i'm thinking this thing through rationally and it seems so right and yet when you get through the conversation i.e. argument (laughs) you realize i've missed the mark i'm one click off I meant to end up here, but I'm over here. You ever had that experience? Well, that's what the Lord tells us about the mind, that the mind is deceptive because not only are we fallen by nature, you know what else we are by nature? We're finite. We're limited. Do we really understand things as clearly as we think we do? Have we really figured out the problem as clearly as we think we have? Probably not. Now, anyone here who's married, you understand this dilemma, don't you? Don't be pointing at your wife. (laughs) It's a problem we face because we're finite. So by nature, we're fallen. Our affections, our desires are deceptive. But our reasoning's defective too. We're finite. We don't have all the answers. We don't know everything. And that makes us fallible. Fallible. We're finite, fallen, and fallible. At best, by nature, we are what? One click off. One click off. So there's the problems we face with doing things our way. Well, let's talk about doing things God's way. God has such a better way to do things. God would have us to do things His way, first of all, by praying and obeying. So, first of all, I want to look at prayer. But In order to do that, I'd like to read to you Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Here God tells us, or here David prays actually, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.'" See, God wants us to pray. We got a problem? People upset us. Somebody's made a choice or decision that you don't like, I don't like. Instead of sitting around steaming about it and being angry about it or being disagreeing about it, God says, I want you to pray. Pray. Well, how am I to pray? Well, you know, I tend to think that prayer is neither informing or instructing God about anything. I mean, think about it. God, I'm going to pray because I need to tell you about something. A picture of God saying, really, what are you going to tell me that I don't know? You know, prayer isn't informing God. He knows everything. And while I've got your attention, God, let me tell you how to take care of this problem for me. I'm going to instruct you now. <laughs> so God... Now that you know that this happened, this is what you need to do to take care of it. That's not prayer. Prayer is, God, I need to inquire. God, what's your will? How can you, what do you want, Lord? What do you want in this problem, this difficult time I'm facing? What would you have me to do, Father? That's prayer. Lord, show me your way. Because I know if I don't follow your way, at best I'm what? One click off. So, Lord, I know you don't want me to be off the path. I know you want me to be in line with you. But, Lord, I don't understand my own heart. If there's something that's offensive to you, God, search it out. Show me. Bring me to a place of repentance. And then make me humble and open to do your will, to obey your word, to love people, to forgive people. To think kindly of people. That's not easy to do, but the neat thing about praying for God's will and asking him to do the searching, to find the problem, and to show us is that he will bring us to where we need to be. I mean, think about it. To be examined by God is no light matter. Think about divine scrutiny. Now, that's terrifying because God is omniscient. He knows everything. God can't learn anything. He knows everything. God is not only omniscient, he's omnipresent. He's there all the time. When that was said, when that happened, God was there. But God is also omnipotent. He's all powerful, isn't he? He can make a wrong right. He can make a failure a success, if we trust him. But if we go without prayer, at best, we're going to be one click off. Even if we know the Bible, even if we've been a Christian a long time, even if we're just a nice guy, if we don't ask the Lord for his guidance, his help, his enabling, at best, we'll be one click off. So first of all, to do things God's way, we need to pray. If we're going to talk to somebody, he's the first one to talk to. The second thing is we need to obey. Pray and obey. That's the way. That's the true way. Pray and obey. That's God's way. Let's look at uh, one other passage here. Let's look at Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Most of us probably know this passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That word trust is much more than a mental consent. It is an acknowledgement. It is a submission that says, God, no matter what, your way, not my way. It's the type of trust that says, I'm going to commit myself to the Lord and rely on his goodness and grace alone. You see, when we place, when we place our confidence in, in God, our anxieties can actually be replaced with expectations. Now think about the difference between anxieties and expectations. When I'm facing a problem, when I'm going through a hard time, I can experience a lot of anxiety. How's this going to work out? and What's going to happen? But when I put my trust in the Lord, I pray, I've asked him to show the way, and I now want to obey him in that leading, those anxieties can now become, in a very strange way, expectations. Because now I know, you know, so-and-so and I had a problem. We had a falling out. God's wanting to do something in our lives. He's wanting to show me something. He's wanting to show him something. God uses suffering to work great things in our life. And so when we trust in the Lord, we know that he is going to do things far beyond our comprehension can grasp. And I think anybody here who's come through a very difficult time, and you look back and you see how God's hand was on it the whole time, and you realize, oh, now it makes sense. You know, Edith Schaefer used to talk about life on this side of eternity as like the backside of a tapestry. You're looking at it as like, it doesn't make sense at times. But one day when we get to the other side of eternity, and we're in the presence of the Lord, we'll look at this tapestry that the Lord has put together it's beautiful. It all makes sense. So why I'm on this side of problems, I need to put my trust in the Lord. Lord, I want to submit myself to you. I want to obey you. And how do I do that? By acknowledging his divine sovereignty. You see, trust means you acknowledge. That's really a word of submission. That goes against our culture today too. Lord, I not only want to trust you, I want to submit to that sovereign will of yours. I don't always understand it. I don't always agree with it. But Lord, I know it's right. And I know that if I don't trust you, Lord, and I know now if I don't obey you, no matter how much in my mind, in my heart, I might think I'm right on the right track, one day I'm going to stand before you and in your grace, you're going to say, you're one click off. But thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. And although by nature I'm one click off, you're never one click off, God. You're always the true way. And so we have to do God's way by praying, by obeying. And when we acknowledge God in all our ways, how much is all? I don't want any of this new math stuff. (laughs) All means all, everything, in my thoughts, in my feelings, in my actions, my attitudes, my words, my actions. When I acknowledge God in all my ways, that should affect the way I live my life for him. Because he knows my thoughts before I even thought them. He knows the words even before I say them. He knows the deeds even before I uh, perform them. And so he wants us in all our ways to acknowledge our attitudes and actions. If not, at best, we'll be what? One click off, at best. So I just want to encourage us this morning to recognize that life is hard and then you die. (laughs) I was told that. And it, it seems so. But here's the good thing even though life is hard, we have a loving Savior. We have a gracious God who is patient and kind and willing to forgive and to heal and to do wondrous works in our lives. I know I probably sound Pentecostal. It's okay. I get, ex- I get, <laughs> I get excited about thinking about when we do it God's way, it's amazing what happens. The Bible is from book to book. This lesson is there. So I'd just like to encourage us today as we're closing now, let's try to remember this week. Maybe not even this week. Maybe today. Maybe when we're having food and somebody takes the last biscuit you wanted and you think that that's really unkind and inconsiderate and Lord smite them. Um, but let's pray and let's ask the Lord, search us, oh God, know our hearts, try us, know our thoughts. Help us to be remindful that mindful of the fact that we deal with the fallen nature and a finite nature, and we make big mistakes. We make poor choices. But God, you've promised to lead us and to guide us and to bring us into a place that is right and good and restore relationships. And I would just like for us to think about that. And I want to end now with a little story about a contractor in South America, who was hired by a CEO of a company here in the United States to build a road in the jungle because they were building a plant for manufacturing down in this area in Central uh, America. And so the CEO of the company heard that there was this uh, contractor who was just finishing up a job uh, in the country where he was at and was about to come back to the United States. And so he contacted this contractor and said, hey, look, my company's building a plant down in, in the jungle here. And I forgot which country it was. But he said, but we need, first of all, to build a road from the airport out to the site. Can you do that for us? He goes, oh, yeah, I'd love to. We're just finishing up this job and we can do that for you. So the contractor negotiated with the CEO. Everything was in order and started on the task of building this road through the jungle. And each month, the contractor would contact the CEO and say, hey, I just want to give you an update. You know, we're, you know, we're so far. We've done this. This is happening. We're almost to the site. So the CEO thought, you know, I want to go down and see the progress. I want to see how well things are going. So he gets on a plane. He lands at the airport. And there on the tarmac is this contractor. He says, hey, Joe, it's good to see you. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm, I, I can't wait to see the progress we made. I want you to see the road we're building for your company. And the CEO said, well, Joe, I got a problem. Uh, he goes, as I was flying over the area, I, I noticed a little problem. Oh, well, what problem, Joe? What are you talking about? He goes, well, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> and the contractor said, yeah, but we're making such progress. <laughs> Let's not have that attitude that, yeah, we're going the wrong way. We're one click off, but, hey, we're, 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 we're doing it our way, huh? Sorry, Frank. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for life's lessons. And we would pray as we've been singing today, as we've listened to your word, that you would make us people of your book. Lord, we thank you that though we live in a very difficult life with trying times, we think of health, we think of finances, we think of relationships politics, we, just on and on and on. Lord, it's very hard for us to know how to do things right. But we thank you that you've given us a compass, your word. And we thank you that your word is also our map. Help us to study your word, to know the terrain and the way to go. Help us to understand it, it are, that it is our compass given to, you, uh, given to us by you to follow the directions. But Lord, we also thank you that you haven't just handed us a compass and a map, but you've given us your spirit to guide us. And Holy Spirit, we would ask in Jesus' name that as we face challenges this week, that we would not lean on our understanding, we would not trust in our own hearts, but we would look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.